From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. So welcome to Innovators on Tap. Today is a bit of a bittersweet day. It is the end of a journey, um, and it's a beginning and a new start for both Kyle and I and a different one. So a few months ago, both Kyle and I decided to embark on a new adventure. I decided that uh, it's been fun being retired and having this podcast and being the innovator in residence at Marquette, and I've really enjoyed meeting these incredible guests. But I had that itch to go try and do it again. And so I recently took a job as the CEO of a small biotech company. And now I'm out there trying to walk the talk every day. And Kyle just came to me a few months ago and said, you know, Chuck, this has been a great journey. And uh, while I've learned a lot, I think it's a chance for me now to go test it myself. And so Kyle has gone off and uh, joined an entrepreneurial startup and is actually creating a business within a business. And so... Hopefully, he's uh, using all that great advice we had along the way. So, Kyle, thanks for joining me today. It's great to be here. I'll echo your words. It's very bittersweet. Definitely applying all that I learned from the podcast, from the guests, and and mainly from yourself uh, in my job uh, now, which is really cool to actually see that, you know, the stuff we were talking about works uh, and I'm, I'm being able to use it every day. So, I, I thought I could throw some questions at you. We could go back and forth and we could see how this goes. But I want to take you back to, man, two or three years ago. I got an email from a guy named Chuck Swoboda out of the blue uh, saying that he was the CEO of a company called Cree. They had in, basically invented the LED light bulb, $1.6 billion in revenue. I think that number was in the email and asking me if I had time to uh, take, a, take a meeting at a coffee shop. And, you know, I saw CEO inventing LED light bulb in 1.6 billion. And I was like, yeah, we can make we can make that meeting happen. And I remember meeting for the first time before the podcast was even a thing. And you kind of articulating your vision of what you wanted to accomplish. Now, fast forward to now we God knows how many episodes, lots of great conversations, lots of additional content. When you were envisioning what this podcast would be like way back when did you think it would look like this? You know, Kyle, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know that I had a really specific vision, right? Like, so what it is and how it works and what it looks like, I didn't even, I didn't know that. I didn't try to know that. What I thought was we could create some pretty interesting conversations. You know, it, and, and in my time of writing my book, I got a chance to meet a lot of other people and hear their stories. And I started going, wow, this isn't just my journey. This is a lot of other people's journeys. Wouldn't it be cool to talk to them? Um, I certainly didn't envision myself as someone being an interviewer. I know I knew that's what I was signing up for, but that is not something I had ever done before. I'd always been the interviewee. So, um, you know, I was, I was a little maybe intimidated is the right word about how that might go. So I don't know that I had a specific idea. I had this vision. We'd create these cool conversations 
I was hoping people would get some value out of it. And as you know, I'm a metric guy and I was hoping some people would listen, not just once, but then they'd keep listening. And so I think all said and done, it turned out as good as I could have hoped and probably better than I should have expected. The biggest surprise for me is, you know, we didn't know each other at all before this. And obviously working with someone has dynamics that you you don't know before you start working with someone if, if things are going to work out. Um, and I think, you know, one of the most rewarding aspects of the podcast uh, for me was that I learned so much from you, but I also, I think we worked really well together. Um, I, I hope you feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I, and what I would tell you, Kyle, is, is I, I remember the moment in that first conversation where I was pretty sure this could work. And you had asked me to explain my vision. I said, look, it's a podcast about innovation, but it's not about tell me what your company makes. It's tell me how you think. And at one point, you know, I started to describe something else. It goes, you said something like, well, wait a minute. I think you got to really stick with this mindset idea. I think if you do that, there's something here that is unique and different. And if you go down that other path, I don't see it's working. So you took my own words, you reframed them. And you put him back in front of me and said, no, stay focused. This is what we should do. And that's when I kind of knew, okay, this could work. Someone asked me recently, they heard we were, this is our last episode. So why is this the last one? I said, well, look, I got really busy. But I said, I also, you and I had built this partnership of doing this together and it made it work. We complemented each other's skills. And I think, you know, I've had that a few times in my career and what I, and one of the pieces of advice for anyone listening is, is when you find that, do not underestimate how awesome that is because I don't think that's most people's typical experience. So, no, I, Kyle, you made the show far better than it ever would have been. You know, it's so interesting. You, through doing the podcast, through writing the book, you, you had these, you know, very, and, and obviously through your experience as CEO, you had these like really well defined, ideas around innovation that I never encountered before. Like you had theories, you had, you know, the same phrasing and wording uh, around how you viewed innovation. And I think when you're doing it every day, you don't necessarily realize how impactful or how insightful your own words are. And so a lot of the time I just felt like I was like, Chuck, that's really fucking good. Like, like we got to stop hold right there. Like we need to write that down. Like that's, that's really interesting. And I think oftentimes it's hard for you to distinguish between your own great thoughts and your own bad thoughts. Cause you, you're just living with them every day. So having someone that can be like, that's really good. That, that doesn't make sense. Can you define that a little more is so helpful. So uh, agreed with your take on partnership. If you can find someone that can really help crystallize your own thoughts can bounce ideas back and forth, make the thoughts better. Really special. doesn't come around all that often and definitely keep working with those people as much as you can. You know, Kyle, now that you're they're working at a young company, I maybe I would call it still a startup, and, and you're on this new project, I know you're probably getting a chance to live and test these different ideas. And what I thought would be interesting is I just, I hope you don't mind, but you sent me a note a few weeks ago and, uh, you shared something um, that was one of your experiences from the show. And you said something along the lines of, Chuck, I just want you to know, I got some really tough, critical feedback. Basically, 
they didn't like what I was working on. And they said, but you got to go fix this. And he said, I would have, and I, I'll paraphrase, but I think in the past that would have set me back, but I took it as just the brutal truth and asked myself, so what can I do about it? Talk a little bit more about that. Cause you know, that's one of my favorite concepts. And you know, for me, that put about as big a smile on my face as it could. So, but I, but I think your perspective is important because understanding it allowed you to hear something different. Yeah. No, I, I, I love this. So, uh, as listeners know, you had your like circled email moment early in Cree where Neil, the current CEO, you had sent an email that had some small grammar mistake. He circled it, made it a huge deal in front of everyone. And initially your thought was like, well, why is he doing this to me? But then you were able to internalize it like, it's it's a me problem and what am I going to do to fix it going forward? So yeah, I'd email you saying like, I just had my circled email moment and I was in charge of orientation for uh, the new Morning Brew product. I, I, I was kind of working on it in a vacuum and then I had to present it to basically senior leadership and the rest of the team working on this product and it was terrible. Like it was... Oh, like I, I wouldn't wish this feeling upon anyone. Like it's one of those things 20 minutes in, you're like, this is so bad and I have 20 minutes to go. <laughs> like this is not good. And the feedback was, you know, very accurate. Like this sucks and like we need to fix this. And, you know, it, it, 10 minutes I was like, this sucks. But then I was like able to think like, all right, what can I do? And, I, and like you said, I knew in the past I, that would have just set me back a lot longer and this time I was just like, feedback is information. And the end goal is to make this as good as possible for the students. It doesn't matter that this sucked in front of the team. That's kind of what the team is there for. And now it's just on me to take this feedback and make it better. And it came out, I think, really, really well. Students loved it. And if I didn't have that mindset, I would have let it affect you know, when I was presenting it to students. And honestly, I think I, I received feedback from the team basically saying like, you took our feedback and like put it into action and made this better. And like, it's a huge skill to be able to take feedback, not get defensive and actually change and, and make it better. And so that was just a huge moment of growth in my own life where I was like, damn, I, I will never get shit on harder than I just did. And I was able to just kind of be okay with it, take that information. And again, like focus on making the product the best it can be. Cause that's what matters knowing who your audience is. My audience is not my team. Like they should be providing me critical feedback because that's what they're there for. Thank you for sharing that. I, I just, I think it's helpful for someone else to hear it because you know, my whole argument or my whole point around that concept is it's mindset, right? If you take it the right way, there's an incredible growth opportunity and it's, it's on you. It's not on the people that gave you the feedback. It's on you. And I think so many people could be more successful if they start there, uh, because fact is we can always get better. So let's flip the script, Chuck. We've been asking our guests the same questions for every episode this season. And we've thought about them a lot, but I don't know if we've ever articulated our own perspective uh, fully. So let's, yeah, let's flip the script and ask ourselves these questions. Uh, you cool with that? Yeah, let's do it. In fact, perfect. To make it more fun, I'm going to start by asking you and then All I'll right. answer. Let's do it. So Kyle, first question. Do you believe that your success has come more from avoiding failure or embracing failure? I think early on I was I avoided failure. And I think that's because I was like told that I was, you know, like a great reader, great at math really early on. And so my identity became wanting people to think I was still good at 
those things. And there's actually like lots of child psychology where if you tell people like, oh, you're really smart, then they try to protect that identity and they don't challenge themselves. And if you tell people like you worked really hard, then their identity becomes, oh, I work hard and failure is fine. And so I definitely, I think, grew up with, I want to avoid failure. Uh, and then when I started doing my own things and just realized that like you're never going to learn without embracing failure, uh, that changed. And along the journey of working with you, that definitely changed as well. I think we've made learning out to be this really fun thing, but it actually kind of sucks. And to me, learning is like, you're not going to know what to do until you actually go do it and get feedback from the world. And the odds of you doing it 100% perfectly the first time are zero. And so like really just embracing that, like learning is uncomfortable. And if you're not uncomfortable, if you're not embracing failure, you're, you're never going to get better. And so now it's like, I actually kind of assess like, am I uncomfortable during the day? And if I'm not, then I'm probably not pushing myself hard enough. And I will say like in this new job, there's, there's, I'm uncomfortable <laughs> a lot, uh, which is great. It, it means I'm learning. So uh, definitely embracing failure now, but I think it took me a while to get there. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't a, uh, an embrace failure guy to start with, right. Uh, you know, I followed a traditional path, get good grades, get the right answer, be viewed as successful. It wasn't really until I joined Korea and went down that road that, uh, I learned how to embrace failure. And I really learned that, um, and I'm going to take something from one of our guests that I remember asking this question. They said, I don't even think of it as failure. I think of it as learning. For me, that happened, but it took a while. And, and you know, one of the things I suggest to people all the time now, and, and I'm, I'm suggesting what worked for me is you got to put yourself in situations uh, where you test the limits. And in fact, uh, you know, after I got good enough at this at Cree, we used to say, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough, right? And, and there is something to that. And I think it has been, you know, obviously my biggest success has become when we push the limits. You know, I was in the innovation business for a long time. We're trying to do that again. You know, now I'm trying to do it in a biotech company, which has a lot of boundaries around failure and there's really limits and there's a big downside risk. You know, if you're going to develop a, a, a drug to put in someone's body and Failure is if like it makes them worse or kills them. That's a pretty big downside risk. So how do you trying to find a way that we can still push the limits, but understand that there are boundaries. And so for me, it's absolutely been really learn, really coming to the realization that at the end of the day, it's all about learning and you have to have failure to truly learn. Yeah. I think it on it, like our default state is to be comfortable and that is antithesis of innovation and the antithesis of growth. And so it is kind of having to change that mindset. Uh, so if you're going to pursue innovation with a team, what's more important to their success, embracing a culture of the brutal honesty or creating an environment of psychological safety? I probably am much more open-minded now than even a couple of years ago about that. It can look in many different ways, but I am also even more passionate that there cannot be an exception to this idea of candor. It will not work without candor. I think the other thing that was interesting is that, you know, along the way, while we were building the podcast and doing the episodes, I had a chance to test this out in class with Kate Trevi at eLead at Marquette. And we posed the idea one day, you know, which of these is more important? And the aha moment that we both concluded, because honestly, I was the brutal truth. She was the psychological safety person, is that, they are fundamentally intertwined that you cannot have psychological safety without the brutal truth. 
And you can't have the brutal truth if people don't feel comfortable working in that environment. I think the problem we have is we've used those words to mean things that actually aren't psychological safety. They're artificial safety. They're artificial niceness. They're avoiding. Con- That's not what that means. And so, you know, one of the benefits I had in my career is I worked on teams where we truly were all about working together. There was a fundamental trust. And, and so the one thing I, I would mention to people is I don't think you can compromise this on this idea if you're going to be successful. But as a leader, if you all have an organization where people are not trust, and trust does come, by the way, from transparency, but you've got to create that. And, and it, it will not work without it, but you also can't get anywhere if you don't do it. Love that. I, I definitely agree. And I'll, I'll add a different kind of flavor to it. And that is, I found it's rare in my career to have someone tell me that I don't like that idea. That idea is not good. I think we all default because we're dealing with humans. Like we don't want to make anyone mad. We want to be people's friends. And this idea that like your company is a family, which I, I, I think gets uh, misused often. I always view it as like a, a team. And I think back to like basketball teams growing up, like if you would tell your teammate, Hey, you need to be here. And you weren't. And like, you're affecting the rest of the team. And I've always found there's a few people I've worked with yourself included that will tell you, I don't get it. That's not good. Let's do something else. And I actually love those people because what they're doing is they're making you better and they're really rare. I've worked with a lot of people that just like everything you say, they're like, that's brilliant. It's not (laughs) like, I know it's not even brilliant. And so my challenge to people would be like, be that change you want to see. I think people do actually want to grow and get better. They're not going to do that by you just telling them that's a great idea, every idea, even if you don't think so. And so give people in your circle critical feedback. Ask them to explain it further. I don't get it. That doesn't make sense to me because X, Y, and Z. I think you're actually going to be rewarded for that. And I think people find it really refreshing. I know when I've worked with people like that, I'm like, wow, this is different. It's making me better. And you actually come to love it. Like you want people to challenge you because it's um, making you smarter. It's making your ideas better. And so that's my challenge to to listeners. Yeah. And, and just to add on that, you know, I think one of the things I've learned over the years is you know, if you're really interested in innovation, you're interested in doing something better than it's done today. Mm-hmm. So you basically have to challenge everything. The moment you come up with a great idea, the only thing I'm thinking of is how to make it better. Like by definition, now we have to make it better. And so along those lines, let me ask you the next question. If you describe how you approach problems, are you more likely to be someone who thinks outside the box, builds a better box, or sets the box Mm -hmm. on fire? So I am definitely by nature a set the box on fire. I think I've, I've always been interested in people are doing it this way. I just like naturally want to do it a different way. Obviously I think there's times where you can apply all three. I will, I will pivot my answer to a strategy or to advice for people listening is I've found that the set the box on fire is the best approach when you're in a domain that you're not an expert in because you're very unlikely if you want to, if you want to just build a better box or, or make the current box better that to me is like incremental. And that's where I think domain experts excel is they, they really understand deeply the problem. They can make it a little bit better. You're not going to win if you compete against an expert and you're not an expert yourself. If you try their same strategy. 
And so if you're not a domain expert, I would say that's your advantage is now you can set the box on fire because you you're unaware of the limits. You're not going to win if you try this incremental improvement. So why not think radically think about it in a different way? And if you are in somewhere where you feel like you really are an expert, then uh, you're likely going to be able to improve a process uh, really, really efficiently. And just being under, just understanding your own perspective of really knowing it probably limits your ability to set it on fire because you you know it too well. You you understand the limitations, uh, much like you know GE telling you or uh, HP telling you that like no, you can't make a LED light bulb. They were experts and they were kind of uh, blinded by that. So. I'm a naturally set the box on fire. My advice is if you're going into something you don't know, that's that's your way to win is to is to set the box on fire because you're going to have a unique perspective. Um, what are your thoughts, Chuck? So I aspire to be a set the box on fire person. Um, I like to start there. But that's if that's me on my own. You know, most of my career is in a leadership role. And what I would say is I'm probably actually more likely to be the think outside the box guy. And the reason for that is this. When you set the box on fire, you get rid of all these boundary conditions. But that means you got to get everyone to come along with you. And oftentimes I find that an analogy that starts with a box that exists that helps people see how it could look very different is much easier easier to relate to. So the idea, the the set the box on fire idea can be so out there that you spend more time and energy trying to get someone to embrace it and there's no context around it. So it's funny, as we ask this question over and over, I know what I want to be, but what I actually am is the think outside the box guy because I found that when it comes to teams and leading people, that's easier for me to get them to relate to. Now, I might make up a box that they can relate to, but I think if you do it without that context, it's very hard to move the group along. So I think that's where I've ended up. That's interesting. And I also think it's a sign of a great leader to understand I might be one way, but the best way for the team to win is for me to be this way and then be that way uh, because you have the end objective in mind. So I, I think that's a fantastic uh, answer. So Chuck, this is this is probably my favorite question. I, I love this one. When you're evaluating talent for a new team member, which you've done a lot in your career, what are the must-have characteristics that you're looking for? You know, Kyle, when I think about a new team member, I probably would apply what I now call my UFO test. It wasn't called that back when I was doing this on a regular basis. The first one is I want to make sure they can handle uncertainty. They're going to live in a world where we don't have all the answers and they got to be able to deal with it. So that's critical uncertainty. Second one is, you know, can they deal with failure? Can they learn from it? And can they openly discuss it? Because if they're, if they're afraid of it, they're just not going to be able to help us go after the really big problems. And then the third one is ownership. I need someone who's comfortable owning something that they actually can't completely control. So, you know, when you're signing up for a goal, when it comes to innovation, you're going to sign up to do something that's never been done before. Okay. I, I agree. I will accomplish that. I mean, like you got to be a little crazy to say I can accomplish it. It's never been done before. You actually don't know, but you believe in yourself that you're going to figure it out 
and, and you're willing to be held accountable to that. And I think if you get those three things, you know, those would be, you know, kind of my, my key three ideas. Mine are the first is biased towards action. I love people that understand that we're not going to find the answer just theorizing and they want to put something out into the world. They want to get feedback on it. And that's knowing that's, that's how you're going to improve it. There's a great quote by Hermenia Ibarra. That's we don't discover who we are through theory, but through practice. And you, you really don't, you can't just theoretically figure out who you are. You have to start doing stuff and get that information. And I think the same about products you're not going to know how consumers are going to respond until consumers respond. And so people that ship fast, want to get things out there, I, I'm always impressed by. The second thing that I've already mentioned is people that can give critical feedback, I just think are really rare and they make me better. So I like being around them and it, it keeps you humble. And the third thing I will say, which I think I struggle with a little bit and I'm really working on it is I think you have to be passionate but I, I see a lot of people that are passionate about what the final product could be. So like we have an idea and all they want to talk about is like, man, and then we could do this and this and this. And they're like thinking five years down the road. What I now aspire to be and what I look for in other people is who's always passionate about the next step. So it's not the la it's not the final product, which it's super easy to be passionate about because you have this grand vision. But who can wake up every day and be like, yeah, this isn't super sexy. The next step isn't. But I really am excited about it because I know it's going to get us to the final final uh, product. So being passionate about the next step is something I'm trying to work on uh, and I think is is really cool when people have that ability. Yeah, that is great advice, Kyle. So last question, what is your advice for aspiring entrepreneurs? A lot of it is just like, Kyle, what did you learn from Chuck and, and tell people the, the same thing? But if I had to pick one, I would say I'm always weary of people that say, I want to be an entrepreneur or I want to be a founder. And you know, if you dig a little deeper, they might have a great reason for it. So I'm not just saying if you said that once, you know, give up the dream. But I found that we've made those jobs to be like so sexy that people just want to be them. But as we spoke to every single person on this podcast, they didn't care about a title. They never said, I just want to be an entrepreneur. They got so excited about solving a problem. And so my advice for people early in their career is forget about the title entrepreneur, forget about the title founder, forget about all the titles, find a problem in the world that you want to solve, that you want to fix, that gets you excited in the morning and just start working on that. And if someone wants to call you a founder or an employee or, or whatever it is, if you genuinely want to solve a problem, there will always be an opportunity for you to do so and other people that want to solve it with you. So uh, that would be my advice is focus on problem solving and, and forget the rest. Not underestimate the people you put around you because it is much as we talk about an entrepreneur, we talk about Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, or Jeff Bezos. It's not a person. There are people they find that share that passion and that willingness to, hard, to do the hard work. 
and they're able to buy into this bigger idea. And I think you have to get that piece right. And if you get those three, you got a pretty darn good chance of having success. Yeah. Incredibly important. And also understanding that like, it's okay to not want to be quote unquote, a founder. If you're passionate about solving a problem, you're going to plug yourself into a team that gets that problem solved. And you have to recognize you're coming to the team with unique strengths and everyone is and playing to those strengths is, is so important. Chuck, obviously you were innovator in residence th- during this time as well uh, and played a huge role at Marquette. Um, higher ed, you know, we've talked about a lot is going through a lot of changes. Um, what is your advice now that you've kind of been inside this industry uh, for a while? Advice for the Marquette community on some of the challenges ahead? You know, I think it, it's pretty simple. I think the challenges you've all faced over the last 18 months are a gift. They're a gift to recognize that the status quo is not good enough. We're going to have to do something different. And I hope it's encouragement for those that have been frustrated by the status quo, the unwillingness of the organization to change, to stand up and speak out and go do something about it. This is a chance to stay all the structures or history or rules that got in your way and you can't do it. Forget it. You can ignore them now. You have a license to go be an innovator. Ignore those boundary conditions and go for it. And if you're worried about those loud voices that for the last 10 or 20 years said it's not possible, you get to ignore them and frankly, be louder. Because when change happens, those voices are becoming irrelevant faster than anyone knows. So I need you to fill the void and take advantage of it because I am super excited about what's possible, but that possibility requires you all to do something more different and better than it's ever done before. Uh, That's great advice for any industry. Um, Closing thoughts. So obviously, uh, lots of thanks are in order. Um, You know, thanks to Marquette Engineering and mainly Dr. Appella for kind of greenlighting this idea, Marquette in general for all the support. And then a huge, huge, huge thanks to Kate, who is just, you know, she's not here on this episode, but was also instrumental in, in my own development, but also just this podcast and what she's doing with eLead, um, an incredible innovator and leader in her own right. Um, so a, a huge thank you to them and a huge thank you to all the guests, obviously, for giving us a chance, particularly those first few guests where we didn't we couldn't really prove that this was going to be any good uh, for coming on, sharing their insights, uh, helping promote the podcast. Um, it, it was so cool to be able to sit down with so many amazing guests. And I, I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah. You know, the guests are an inspiration. I, I love to go back and pick an old episode from time to time and just re-listen to those conversations. And there's always something in it for me and a reminder that, hey, how, how am I going to use this idea? How do I take this advice? So I can't thank the guests enough. They believed in us and took a chance. And so thanks to them. Um, you know, for me personally, None of this happens if it's not for a conversation with Kate Trevi and Dr. Rapella sitting around who challenged me first to write the book and then take these ideas and share them. Um, I still remember telling them, why would I write a book? This is all common sense. And Dr. Rapella looked at me and said, well, it might be common to you, but I'm not sure it's common to everyone else. And so they, uh, this has been an incredible 
opportunity. I'm, you know, a little bit sad that it's coming to an end because I've really enjoyed it. I'm ready for my next adventure. I am still spending time as an innovator in residence. So, uh, while I may not have the guests to talk to, I'm still having plenty of chance to uh, tease out some great ideas at Marquette, but and also to the broader Marquette community. You know, from doctor level on down to the many people who have listened to the podcast, sent me notes, told me how they appreciate it, what they learned, challenged some things on it. I think that uh, I would tell you all: keep pushing, keep looking for people to try new ideas. There is an incredible amount of wisdom on that campus and in our extended market family, whether they be alums or just friends or people we've had a chance to work with. And uh, I just want to thank them all. I think you and I have both uh, really benefited from this. And lastly, Cal, thanks to you. Uh, this was an idea. It takes people to pull it off, and it doesn't get pulled off without you. And a shout out to Richie Burke, who also provided some inspiration along the way and some really mm -hmm. good guidance. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, thank you. Uh, it's been an incredible part of, of my starting my second career. And uh, I hope to be able to continue to hassle you going forward. And uh, maybe I'll start to uh, take your course and actually call up with a list <laughs> of things you can do better soon. Um, I would love that, Chuck. Um, thanks for the kind words. Obviously, um, thank you. I, I, this was such a rare experience for me. It's almost like hard to articulate how much this meant to me and how much this changed just my mindset. Um, uh, and, and honestly, my, my career and my life, it is not every day that you get to sit down with someone pretty much every day, uh, who has had the career that you've had, but more importantly, I would say, had the career you had while being the type of person you are, which I think is really rare, you know, the same way that you would sit with guests who had hadn't accomplished as, as much as you had and would still be, you know, genuinely excited to, to listen to them from the start. You always valued my opinion and like, who the hell was I? <laughs> uh, so even the fact that you were just willing to entertain my, my thoughts, meant a lot, but I really, you know, from the bottom of my heart, just thank you so much. I learned so much from you. It opened up an entirely new world for me. And, and I know my life, my career would not be the same without this opportunity. And I just can't thank you enough. And, um, I know that our listeners learned also equally amount, uh, as much from you and from the guests. So, um, yeah, it, it's a bittersweet for sure. I know we'll do more stuff together. Uh, but, but thank you so much, Chuck, this, this meant the world to me. Well, I appreciate those thoughts, Colin. And what I would just tell you and, and actually everyone who's listening is don't underestimate how much people can learn from you, no matter what role you're in. I learned as much from you in different ways that you learned from me. And I think if you go into those relationships with that, with that expectation, great things can mm -hmm. happen. And so, so with that, I think I'll just, uh, as we sign off here, close with a couple of thoughts, which is, uh, you know, the advice I like to give a lot of people is that uh, don't ever forget that you can do anything that you set your mind to. Uh, and in the spirit of this being part of Marquette, you know, I've been inspired for many years by a slogan and it's called be the difference. And so I would encourage you in whatever you're doing, whether it's innovation or anything else, if you've taken time to listen to this podcast, take the time to 
Go be the difference in someone's life. It might be your kids. It might be your parents. It could be your friends or someone you meet on the street. But we can all do incredible things, whether it be innovation or anything else, with just the attitude that we can and should do something. And so with that, we'll end uh, with uh, the way we ended every other episode. Let's go change the world. Thank you. If you're still listening, I want you to know that while this is the end of our interview series, at least the way we structured it so far, Kyle and I are not sure we really want to stop doing this. And so I can't tell you exactly what's coming next, but stay tuned to your feed. I think we have something interesting that might just drop in the next two months, a different approach to innovators on tap that we think you might really enjoy. Stay tuned.